Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Welcome back to the 34 Circe Salon. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is part two of our episode on the Amazons and matriarchy. We're talking with Vicki Noble and Dawn Sam Alden. In the first part, we discuss the matriarchal origins of the Amazons. In our second part, we will talk about the clash between matriarchy and patriarchy that formed the Amazon tribe. Here we go. <laughs> Now, let's go forward to the Amazons, because I think what, you know, obviously what we're going to do in the future, there's so much stuff we can unpack here, just talking about each of these different realms. But but for the listener looking to see sort of a quick overview of the Amazons, let's flash forward. Where do you see this, quote unquote, Amazon culture developing? What do you see that it looks like? Male, female, all female. Where is it? What are they like? How are they? I, I, I think you should say matriarchal culture sean because they yeah for a lot of people the kind of excitement is oh these amazon warriors we've heard this great legend but for one thing in our culture we worship war yeah we glorify yeah. it and we worship yes. it and so yes we do you know people have have generally in the archaeological field and in the scholarly or the academic fields in general They've been kind of lukewarm about the idea of these matriarchal cultures that Maria and Judith uh, unearthed and talked about. Um, and all of us in women's spirituality are gaga over these ancient cultures that were peaceful because, you know, you can't, we, we a lot of us belong to the, the peace movement and, and people are always trying to imagine or trying to, uh, you know, hoping that we can somehow turn things around in the world today and and bring peace. But if you can't imagine, actually, that we as humans have ever been able to do that, then it's very difficult to believe in it as anything other than a myth. And so that we're stuck in that circular way of thinking. And if you look at old Europe and uh, at the, you know, the, a place in Turkey, the island of Lemnos has a long uh, sustained uh, archaeological history, prehistory of, uh, of matriarchal habitation and matriarchal rule. And then eventually Lemnos has a story, you know, that's really about Amazons, about warriors but that's 3,000 years after the original um, Neolithic culture that, that grew up in Lemnos and was very evolved. So then, right. we, you know, they obviously ran into trouble. The, the story about the Lemnos women um, is that they killed their husbands. The women of Lemnos who murdered their husbands after the husbands came home with Thracian concubines, that is, slave women as booty, from one of their invasions. The people of Lemnos 
supposedly claim their descent from the Amazon queen, Marina. And, and later they say another story. This is all very, uh, uh, it's complicated because it's a little bit historical, a little bit mythic. Um, but the story of Jason and the Argonauts right. includes a stop at Lemnos in their travels. And according to the story, Argonautica, they found the island solely inhabited by women who appeared in battle array. So now we're talking about the late second millennium BCE. We started mm-hmm. on Lemnos in the Neolithic period, probably 6,000 BCE. And now, now we have the, right. the, now we see that Amazons have arisen. Now we have warrior women. And so I, I love those warrior women, you know, for their uh, intrepid resistance at, to patriarchy. I believe that, yes. you know, I'm descended from that lineage that we were still <laughs> resisting today. But, um, but we didn't start right. out making war. So it, early is matriarchal, later is Amazon's. Yeah, Sean, let me just interpose something that helps helps for right. me to frame this idea. Um, when, uh, when I was in Chicago, we did a derived show called Warrior Queens, and it was, it was loosely based on Antonia Frazier's book of the same ni- name. But it was about women who have led wow. their countries into war. And so we did a lot of research on the various warrior queens in the book and others that aren't mentioned in the book. And uh, one thing that we found that was exemplified in that story of Tamiris oh, yeah. versus Cyrus the Great that we've talked about, Sean. A bloody, bloody story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, essentially, Cyrus the Great, who um, uh, was remembered as, you know, being great as conquering a lot of territory as expanding his empire and he came across uh this one queen tomiris and and you know at first he tried to woo her he offered her his hand in marriage he he wanted her land and he was would try to get it any way he could and she turned him down and um he tried some skirmishes that were repelled and then he invited her son to uh, come and stay with them under the sort of heading of, you know, let's be peaceful friends and get to know each other. Um, and I forget the exact details, but somehow while the son was there, I think they, uh, they essentially kept him at, under house arrest and wouldn't let him go home. And... Um, during the process of that, he was killed. He died. And so Tomiris finally said, you know, I have, I have tried to, you know, be at peace with you. I have tried to just rule my country and let you rule yours. But if you want blood, I will give uh-huh. you more blood than you can drink. And so she raised her armies and she uh, fought Cyrus the Great's armies and himself in a battle that apparently was so bloody that at the end of the battle, there was about six inches of blood on the ground that you had to wade through to get across the battlefield. And she, 
after the battle was was done and she and her forces had won, she scoured the battlefield for Cyrus's body. And when she found it, she cut off his head and she had um, a bag, a, a leather bag with her that she scooped up the blood from the battlefield and she took his head and she stuffed it into the bag and said, I told you I would give you more blood than you can drink. And what this, this story exemplified, <laughs> what this story exemplifies for me and also for our project was that we found over and over and over again that when women ruled countries, they would resist going to war every way and for as long as they possibly could. They would try to find, yeah, they would try to find peaceful solutions. They would try to find compromises. They would evade. They would, you know, try to slide out of the trap. But when finally war was inevitable, when they saw that the only way to survive was to go to war, then their goal was not to gain territory, yes. not to teach the other um, the aggressor a lesson. Their goal was to wipe the aggressor off the face of the earth. So this idea of the matriarchal culture only developing the Amazons when it was clear that there was no way to live at peace with these advancing marauding armies that just kept chasing them from yeah. territory to territory to territory, to me makes a lot of sense. That if they had never been attacked, the Amazons yes. would have never okay. been necessary. No, I, I, think, I think that's a great, great but, point to make because, well, one, I also want for the listener, Cyrus was the... Um, of the Persian Empire, one of the greatest uh, kings of the Persian Empire, and uh, Tamaris was from the Masagate tribe, who, from all the readings that I've seen, seemed mm -hmm. pretty matriarchal. Yeah, that I think aside. Yeah. That, that, that aside, yeah. but um, the other thing is uh, keeping it with this because I think all of this stuff, and I want us to explore all of these because I think this is there's again so amazing, and and this is our chance to kind of get these stories out. But for this particular focus point today, if you were going to look for that kind of mythical, that, that last bit, the resistance movement called the Amazons, um, Vicky, where, how would you get to them? What would you be looking for? Where would you go? What would be part of the path of your journey? Let's say we, we for argument's sake, that there may have been this female resistance movement, part of a much larger matriarchal movement of resistance that had gone on for millennia, basically keeping, trying to survive. Well, I, I look to archaeology mm -hmm. <clears throat> for guidance, you know, <clears throat> when they found, I mean, we know that north of the Black Sea, there are lots of female burials in the Iron Age. We know that uh, the play, and as I said, up the Volga, when I went up the Volga River uh, territory with Janine Davis Kimball in the 1990s, we went to one museum after another. Where's the Volga, just for the listener? Just tell the listener uh, where the Volga in is. In Russia, the Don River flows into the Black Sea and north, and the Volga River is, is parallel with the Don. Um, 
I think it flows into the Caspian Sea, actually. So it's that area in between uh, where some of the burials we looked at were along the Don River. Uh, we started in a place called Rastaf Nadana, right on the um, Sea of Azov. So that's an interesting place. Um, up the Volga, there are lots of these <coughs> burials for a long time. There, I actually, when we got to the middle Volga, the archaeologists call it, the area around a place called Saratov, there, there were horse hoof sculptures, you could say, very stylized sculpt, female sculptures in the museum from 5000 BCE. And they had little breasts and little belts. And I said, ah, those are Amazons, but they're so early. You know, they're, this is the same territory where the Amazon burials are found later, thousands of years later in the first millennium. But these horse hoof goddesses, as I call them, um, were from, five, from the fifth millennium. So, you know, several thousand years earlier. And it led me to, to believe that women, that it led me to believe that those cultures at that time, even if they're related to the later cultures who became so patriarchal, that it, at least in the fifth millennium, they were not patriarchal. That was the first thing I understood, seeing those little sculptures, that these were a horse, a horse worshiping or a horse breeding culture. Um, they may have domesticated horses um, so early. We know that domestication of horses happened in that uh, between the fifth and fourth millennium. So, um, so anyway, the Volga River presents an interesting place. For Can I uh, ask you a question, though? There's, uh, you said they may have domesticated horses, and you're thinking that this culture may be matriarchal. <laughs> it's just interesting because one of the myths of the Amazons is that they were credited in the ancient world with having domesticated horses. So it's just oh, interesting. that's Sorry. true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it? Well, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. You know, there's a culture now just recently that they've uh, been very interested in again uh, because of DNA, new DNA research that's come in. Um, the Botai, B-O-T-A-I culture. They're, they're, they were in the north of Kazakhstan, and in the fourth millennium, they migrated east to the Altai. And that's very interesting because the later burials in the Altai, such as the Pazaric burial, are uh, beautiful uh, horse-loving cultures that seem quite matriarchal. And, and there are priestess burials in the Altai and in that area. But they're much later again. They, they, we're talking about a migration out there by these horse, these people that they believe now were the first horse domesticators, the Bowtie culture. But then the later horses that the Indo-Europeans rode and um, or that they believe that they rode. I mean, I don't think they have any actual, I don't think they have too much evidence. They, they just think the Indo-Europeans were the ones who uh, domesticated the horses that have come down to us as mm -hmm. domesticated horses. So it's two different things, and I don't know all what that means, and maybe those little horse goddesses are related in some way to that early 
culture, the bow tie or whoever they were before they called themselves that, you know, the thing about archaeology is that the names change in every millennium, even the lineage of people is still the same, Mm. more or less. Could you say a little more going forward, flashing forward of where to look? If you, you know, you, I and Don were going to go off, who knows, to go look for, <laughs> to go look for Amazons uh, and look for this Amazon homeland. Before we get to that, can you say a little bit about, because we've talked about how there were these matriarchies, they're on the run, they're under attack. Who were the people who attacked them? Where did they come from? What were they called? Let's let the listener know a little bit about that. Well, in a nutshell, they they grew up, uh, these cultures grew up on the steppes uh, in Russia. There are steppes north of the Black Sea. They're kind of like grasslands. And then north of that area, there are forests and forest people. Uh, the Botai, for example, were forest people. They were hunter-gatherers. The Indo-Europeans were... I mean, the thing is, they're not Indo-Europeans until about 2000 BCE. Before that, they're proto-Indo-Europeans, and everybody, it's a kind of guesswork that the archaeologists are doing and, and the linguists. But These are the people who are, ta- you're, the Indo-Europeans and proto-Indo-Europeans, you're referring to the group that basically ruptures the matriarchy. Absolutely. At okay. a certain point, I think probably from greed, I think from coming into contact, you know, they're, they're north of the Black Sea, but not so far, and north and east. And so the matriarchal people, uh, the, the old Vincha culture is more along the Danube, but the Danube flows into the Black Sea. And there's a site called Varna that was a seaport um, and in, in the fifth millennium. And it's at Varna that gold was produced in great quantities. The kind of gold, you know, it was even before smelting, I think, when they were still hammering gold. But but they found tons of gold at Varna. And and uh, the people the the, um, there's a, a old let's see, there's a goddess civilization in that area north of Varna called Cucuteni Tripolia. And they were very, very similar to the Vincha uh, along the Danube and probably related. Pretty much people think they were related. Um, That culture lasted until the middle of the fourth millennium. And it was right next door, basically, to the the steppes where the Indo-Europeans evolved. And the two were in contact, and that's the way the archaeologists talk about it. They were in contact. Now, eventually, you know, that contact went really bad for the matriarchal people, and they were wiped out by these others. Right. But, the, but the very first invasion, the very first wave that shows in the archaeological record happened in the middle of the of the fifth millennium, like 4,500 around that time, 4,600. And that was, a, was an invasion around the Black Sea and south just to Varna, just to that area. And they, um, it was pretty damaging. And there were massacres that there are, uh, that there's evidence to show that people were massacred. And the gold was a big thing. And then the gold starts showing up 
in the burials of these Indo-European males, uh, that culture is called Yamnaya. Yeah, they're the they're the famous. Um, one thing I want to mention too is that perhaps you and I can draw up a little timeline for that we can post somewhere for the listener. I think that'll really help people understand kind of where this starts and when we get down to the classical notion of the Amazons. Um, so we can talk about that perhaps uh, after the broadcast, Vicky. Um, but the other thing is the Yamnaya. The Yamnaya. What's interesting about them is you and I were talking about this. The Yamnaya, if I'm not mistaken, represent the genetic lineage of a large part of contemporary Europe, at least certainly the genetic male lineage. After 3000 BCE, because that was the huge wave of male Indo-European DNA into the old European farmer DNA. And what it was, is it was totally, they wiped out the men. Yeah, no, that's why I was going to bring it up, because now the people, I mean, any contemporary European has a lot of Yamaya blood. But the interesting thing about it is, we were talking about this, is that they wipe out the men, mate with the women, and you get almost this kind of like deification, hagiography of that brutal rupture. It's like, wow, look at these. It's like they are envisioned as Conan the Barbarian. It's the beginning of the glorification of war. Yeah. And it's the same uh, strategies and tactics that are used today in war. Think of Bosnia and Serbia. Think of what happened with the women getting raped. You know, it's always the same. Or Berlin in World War II. I mean, when the Soviets came in, people forget. They raped probably about a million German women. Yeah, well, that's the way it's done. My my. Yeah, my mother, uh, part of the reason why they lost everything in World War II, my, my mother was German, um, is that uh, when the war was, you know, starting to be lost, she, her father's family comes from an area that is now Poland. And so when the war had started, they had fled out from the cities out into towards Poland Um to get away from the heaviest bombing, but that was where the Russian troops were advancing. So in order to be captured by the American troops, they actually fled back into the center of the fighting because no one, because they knew that the Russian troops were, you know, were going to kill and rape all the way down to little girls. So, you know, this glorification of war, it's just the berserkers, you know, it's, uh, it's really, it's something that is just not questioned enough in our culture. And I think there's a very profound, a deep resistance to looking at the old matriarchal civilizations that are so, uh, you know, they show quintessential female rule. They show female sovereignty, and there's some way that that's just so taboo in our culture, and there's a hatred uh, that underlies that taboo, and that hatred is what we see that comes out in war uh, in the way that women are dealt with. It's a, it's a deep, I mean, it's a very deep taboo. It's exactly it, and it's it becomes part of the notion of, I think, in any culture... The idea 
that you could see within your own culture, this female predominance really upsets certain guys. And if you're particularly looking at something where a Yamnaya standpoint, which is a very sky god related, if you look at their their worship, it's also a glorification of, of brutality in battle. You look at the genetics where you see the, mm-hmm. and, and the archaeology where you see these men, so part of it, there there may have been not just the only brute brutality, but they were carrying diseases that people were not able to resist, which is something you see later on in history when you get to the New World. Oh. But you, so you, you get this whole right, horde yeah. of pestilence and warfare coming through, and they become the conqueror. History is written by the conqueror. And they're the conqueror who takes the women of the other tribes. So there is that, we think of modern day patriarchal male sensibility of you've dominated not only that tribe you took their women so you have that sensibility there so we've inherited that or we've 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 had that passed along to us but underneath it i think the central conflict that we're talking about in contemporary western world is you have this matriarchal current this deep strong matriarchal current coming up against this patriarchal current which is grafted on top of it you know, basically you have its foundation is in this kind of peaceful matriarchal order. Then you have something built on top of it, which is this brutal patriarchal thing. So you have this big clash there, number one. Number two, you get the, I think I've told you guys, the not my wife syndrome, which is it's okay to look for matriarchy everywhere else in the right. world because female power is okay, but not my wife. My wife is happy with me as the conquering pestilence bringing hero. So it's, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Don't bring that up in here. Not about the West. So that. Hi, honey. Uh, welcome home. Did you bring me like, some pestilence? Don't bring that up about the West. We can find it everywhere else, but not my wife. She's happy. So we've got a lot of currents that are. Right, right. Well, I mean, if you think, if you, if you think about it in terms of like generational trauma, um, now this is, you know, millennial trauma, but if we come from these matriarchal civilizations, originally these matriarchal civilizations were the one that spread, that spread culture, that spread civilization, that allowed yeah. the yeah. arts to flourish and, and societies to flourish because it's egalitarian, it's interdependent the kinds of things that we are able to achieve that we can only achieve when we aren't putting all of right. our resources Cooperation. into they, war. Cooperative systems. They're- yes. Yeah. And in, in a sense, that's a utopia, right? We still think of, when we think about utopian societies, we think of that sense of not having to fight. Yes. And, and so the archaeologists in their resistance to the, uh, the uprising of the goddess movement and our independent research and Maria Gimbutas's exquisite archaeological and linguistic research, they say, oh, it's a feminist fantasy. It's so good. It's a feminist right, fantasy. Right. And also, you know, it's very common to hear ordinary people in all walks of life saying things like, Oh, you know, there's always been war. There's always going to be war. It's the human condition. Yeah. But my work has shown over the last 40 years that it's not at all true. It's not at all the human condition. For, for hundreds of thousands of years, 
we were matriarchal and peaceful and right. we knew how to resolve conflict and we knew how to make sure everyone had their needs met. And it's only the last 5,000 years right. or so that we've, you know, made this terrible detour. And now we think it's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, I wonder if, um, I wonder if the trauma, you know, you said, Sean, that when these Yemeniah came in, yeah, they, they killed the, the male men. DNA. Can you and imagine? Then, yeah. So, right. So in men, I wonder if this, there is this sort of trauma baked into their, into men's DNA that says, if you aren't the conqueror, you're the conquered. Right. We've talked that, about this. Yeah. And that the fear, yeah, that the fear of a matriarchal culture isn't the fear of women being in power. It's the fear of other men being stronger than you are because you are in a cooperative yeah. peaceful it could be. Culture. It very well could be. There's there's so many echoes of that. When I, when I mention this to some guys that I know, it's sort of like, the first thing, the first place their mind goes to is what, of how things would be flipped on them, whether it's women flipping them on them or whether it's men from other places flipping them. It's the idea that if I'm not on top, I'm on the bottom. It's the old, I think, I can't remember the movie. I don't know right. if it was Talladega Nights. If you're not first, you're last. Well, it's the king of the hill. Remember that game, the king of the hill? Yeah. No, it's, it's I think that's, that's where you yeah. get it's a deep fear. I mean, it's a really, the kind of thing you're talking about is, is just these guys flip out at just the mere idea of this matriarchy. And again, I think, like you say, this fear that somehow they're going to be flipped onto the bottom. If they don't keep a foot on someone's neck, then that person's going to get up and knock them out. You know, it's, it all goes back to these kinds of fight metaphors and boxing and MMA, which I watch, you know? Yeah. Well, if I if I can uh, uh, sort of uh, dip into profanity for, for a second, um, okay, I think that uh, you know the movie Team America: World Police, oh, yeah. uh, written by Trey Parker and Matt Stone and Pam Brady. They at the very end of the movie they sort of exemplify this philosophy perfectly and simply in saying that, you know, there are three types of people. There are pussies, dicks, and assholes. Wow. And yes, a dick will fuck a pussy, but only a dick can fuck an asshole. Right? So if you are not a dick, then the assholes are going to win. Well, and also, if you're not, then you're going to be the one that gets it. Because if you're not using it, then everybody, you know, yeah, exactly. Yep. If if you're not a dick, then you're a pussy yeah, and you're going to get fucked. completely, fun. completely it. So, I mean, this, although it is profane, to me perfectly encapsulates our current mentality. Thank you for joining us in part two of our episode on the Amazons and matriarchy. In part three, we're going to focus on the homeland of the Amazons, and their lost city. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Please come back and join us.